you've been around at King's Church over the last month or so, month or two, you'll know we're going through the, the book of Daniel from the Old Testament part of the Bible. And uh, we're going to continue with that series. We call it Most High Gods. And uh, if you missed any of it, you can catch up on our website, our podcast. And as we've seen so far, it, it focuses on Daniel. <clears throat> this is written about uh, events from about two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, Daniel, his people have been defeated in war, and he's been taken off as a kind of captive of war to the foreign power of the time, Babylon, um, modern-day Iraq. And in Babylon, they are trying to turn the captives into good Babylonians. But Daniel and his friends are Jewish. They worship the Lord God and um, they, we've seen various stories of them being faithful under great pressure. And we've found that encouraging, I hope, that actually, although our situation is different as Christians today, there are pressures. There are pressures to say, actually, don't, don't be a Christian, don't follow Jesus. Just be like everyone else and give it up. But um, what we're looking at today, though, is, is we're moving into this, the sort of second part of the book of Daniel, We've seen the last couple of weeks. It gets a bit kind of weird in the second half of the book of Daniel. A bit kind of, you know, there's there's dreams, there's visions, there's weird creatures. It gets a bit kind of Lord of the Rings style. In fact, I had a dream last night that I wrote Lord of the Rings. I was Tolkien in my sleep. So these, these dreams and uh, these dreams and visions, they are, they are from God. That's, the, that's the, what they're presented as in the book of Daniel. They're messages from God. There's things in the dreams that represent other things. And uh, we're going to look at another section of that this morning in chapter 8. Um, but I suppose what, it's, what we're really looking at this morning, as we have been doing, is you know, where is God's? In the chaos, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, actually, what is going on around the world? You know, where is God in, in Gaza? Uh, where is God in Ukraine? If you're still, I hope we haven't forgotten about Ukraine. Now, where is God in that situation? Where is God in the, maybe the things that are going wrong in your life, the difficult times that you're facing? Even as a Christian, you know, we can, we can think, you know, where, where's God in this? I've prayed, nothing really seems to be happening. And, and back in the time of Daniel, we're going to be thinking about some sort of... Daniel was under sort of personal pressures, but also there were the sort of big world things going on. Bad rulers, people being treated in a dreadful way. Where's God in the chaos? And hopefully that's what we're going to be getting a bit of help with this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're exploring the Christian faith, I do hope this is helpful for you to, to, to help you to see that actually we believe that the world... What the Bible says does make sense of the world, even the chaos that we see around us. And actually, there is a God who's there. There's a God who sees. There's a God who cares. There's a God who loves us. There's a God who's powerful. And we can find safety and hope in him, even in times of trouble. So we're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 8. Um, as in this series is often the case, some long readings but uh, do sort of stay with it. Um, we're going to then, after, after that, just try and dig into it and try and understand it. So uh, Daniel chapter 8. 
In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. Just worth saying that actually this is, these visions go back to a little bit before some of the stories we've heard earlier. So this kind of appears sort of between chapters 4 and 5. This is like before uh, the writing on the wall and uh, King Belshazzar, because he's st- here, he's still reigning. Um, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. <clears throat> that was the one we thought about last two weeks. In my vision, I saw myself in a citizen of Susa in the promise, a province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal. And the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it, as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, and, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful lands. It grew until it reached the host of heaven, of the heavens. It threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord's. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord's, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and the truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the the surrender of the sanctuary and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. 
The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true. But seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Well, you feel a bit worn out now uh, by, by that. And, um, but yeah, hopefully, uh, we're going to see shortly, there's a little bit of sort of digging into what happened in this vision and what it means But trust me, we will get to a point of some things that actually make this relevant for us today. I know that you're not all... Some of you might like history and delving into what happened uh, centuries ago, but I know that's not all of us. But we do... I I trust we all want to be here and hear God speak to us and know something that's going to help us in our daily life. And uh, that's what we're about this morning. So we're going to look at this from three angles. Expect evil. Remember God is in charge. And how should we respond? So, first of all, expect evil. And two years after Daniel's dream or vision in chapter 7, he has another one. And the first one, uh, we've got a picture representing it, was about these four beasts or monsters with animal-like features and horns. This is... um, I think this is from like what they used to call an illustrated manuscript. Uh, it's a kind of illustrated, ancient sort of illustrated Bible. And this is how they perhaps thought these animals uh, might have looked. And as we saw last week, that these monsters, these beasts, um, they represented world nations and rulers. Um, that there's a thing about the horns. The horn is a symbol of strength. And so the horn is often a symbol of particular leaders and rulers and kings. Um, Chapter 8, the vision focuses on two kingdoms, not four, two, and one evil ruler in particular who who would come on the scene out of of one of those. Um, And it's really focusing on the next 400 years after Daniel. So Daniel was uh, around in about 500 BC. It's sort of in the next kind of 400 years. So we're still talking kind of 100, 100 we've we finished about 150 years before Jesus was born. Uh, just next picture, uh, we've got, again, this is a kind of depiction of um, what we've just read, or the first part of it at least, There's Daniel in the citadel of Susa, what would be Iran today. He's watching a a ram, a male sheep, uh, and a male goat fighting. 
And uh, I don't know how well you can see it, but don't be fooled by They look quite friendly, uh, those animals there. But uh, they were quite vicious, as we read it in the story. Um, it was a very violent situation that was being depicted. And, um, and it represents violent rulers, evil. And, and I guess that's partly what we're thinking about uh, this morning, remembering on Remembrance Sunday, you know, we, we do, we can't get away from the thought that actually there is real evil in the world that manifests itself, at least one way, in war and conflict and people fighting against one another. And, and the, the ram with two horns, next slide, is, um, represents, what, we, what we're looking at, as we read earlier, is an angel comes with the interpretation from God. And actually, where some of these visions that we've heard from Daniel, people are a little bit more, does it mean this? Does it mean that? Actually, we're told what a lot of this means already. So there's no debate. There's this ram with two horns, represents the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. King Darius, Daniel chapter 6, he threw Daniel to the lions, the lion's den, he was part of that thing. He was a Mede. He was part of this kingdom. They defeated the Babylonians. They were the next ones. But at this point when Daniel's having the vision, that hasn't happened yet. So this is in the future. He's being told about the, the, the next kingdom that's coming. And the two horns, one is bigger than the other. The, the Persian part of the empire got bigger and stronger. That's what that kind of represents. And this ram, this kingdom, became very powerful. Verse 4, I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. So this, this kingdom seems invincible. It does as it pleases for a time, until a crazy goat rushes in. And um, can we have a next, next picture? Here is, here is the goat. It kind of flies in the, 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 in the vision. It's like it doesn't touch the ground. It's like it's going so fast. And such speed. It's got this large horn. It comes and attacks the ram. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it. And none could rescue the ram from its power. And um, this goat, this goat's now taken over. This goat's now the invincible one. And the ram, its time is over. And uh, it's just good to just pause for a moment. And, and just to say, actually, I think one of the things that's going on here is that Daniel is being told, expect evil. Don't be surprised by it. Not, not, that's not to say... Expect it as in welcome it or think it's great. But not to be surprised about these things that were going to happen. One of the big things that's going on in the book of Daniel is to God's people who are far away from home in exile, God wants to encourage them about what's going to happen in the future, to hold on to God, to, to stand firm. And actually one of the things that is being said here in chapter 8 is actually to God's people at the time it's not going to be an easy journey home. You're going to have a tough time. There's some tough times ahead. We're going to hear some even more difficult things that happen in a moment. But we're not to be surprised. 
And on Remembrance Sunday, as we think about violence, loss of life, evil, we're not to be surprised about these things. Jesus said, you know, you know there will be wars and rumors of wars coming. Don't be surprised. But we should be shocked. We should care and we should pray. We should pray for peace in Gaza and Israel. Even if we don't understand the whole situation and, and, and people, are, you know, there's demonstrations and, and people understand in different ways. But we do want to pray for peace. We want to pray against violence. We want to pray, pray for that situation. We want to keep praying for Ukraine. We want to pray about wars and evil where we hear about it going on wherever that might be in the world. We need God to change hearts, don't we? We need Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to step into these situations. He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who can bring real, lasting peace. He brings peace into our hearts. Through, through the gospel, through the Lord Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through what Jesus has done for us, his death and resurrection. And then that enables us to have peace with others, whether it's peace on the carnal world stage or just peace in our own individual friendships and around the church and people we know. Psalm 46 verse 9 says that God makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. One day Jesus will return and he will bring everlasting peace. But back to the, back to the goats. Um, next slide, please. Uh, there is there's something funny going on with this goat and its horns. It starts off with one big horn, then it gets snapped off and it gets four horns. I've no idea, I'm not a vet, I don't know whether this can happen or not. And then one of the horns grows another horn. You think, I think it's definitely time to get the vet in on this goat. I don't think things are right with the horn situation. But of course, it's representing these different rulers that were happening in Greece. So that, that as, as, as we've said, the, the the goat represents the kingdom of Greece that took over from the Medes and the Persians. And these are different Greek rulers. So the first horn, um, now this doesn't say this in the Bible passage, but it's very clear from history, there's no debate about this. The first horn is someone called Alexander the Great. Very successful king in terms of expanding the Greek kingdom, but he died young. Died with really, really sort of great success expanding the kingdom. I'm not saying necessarily proof of how, how he expanded the kingdom, but that's what happens. But he died young, died at 33. And he was replaced by four rulers, four sort of regional commanders. Then he got the kind of four horns. But then from one of those kingdoms, what we now would call Syria, someone else grew up. One of their rulers grew up. And it's almost certainly this chap called Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. Got a little uh, picture of him here from, um, uh, it's, in, it's in a museum, sort of a uh, little bust of him. And um, what we know of him from history, outside of the Bible, really fits with what the Bible says about him. Verse 9, Out of one of them came another horn, which started small and grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land that's talking about uh, towards Israel and Palestine. He had his sights set on that place and Jerusalem. It grew up, or he grew up until 
He reached the hosts of heaven and threw down some of the starry hosts to the ground and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord's. Now, some of these things may not be a big deal in kind of world history, but I guess the particular focus here is on what effect did this terrible ruler have on the people of God at the time, the Jewish people? And he set himself up against God. That's kind of what it's referring to. Set himself up again to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. He, he took on this name, Epiphanes. It's not uh, unusual for sort of kings and, and rulers and people at the time. It means God manifest. I know, it's like, I'm God, basically. I'm God. It wasn't unusual for these guys to think that. And um, he had this aggressive desire to... I guess to make everyone Greek, to get everyone to take on the Greek culture. They call it Hellenization. And uh, you know, when it came to Jews in, in Jerusalem, very aggressive. He was really saying, look, I want you to stop being Jews. I want you to be Greeks. And he had many of them slaughtered who resisted him. That's the kind of reference to the sort of perhaps throwing down the starry host, throwing down the people of God, trampling on them. And uh, it says he took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown. Now it's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He, 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 he bans the sacrifices in the temple that were part of worship of God at the time. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and the truth was thrown to the ground. It was a horrific time for God's people stopping the sacrifices of worship in the temple that God had commanded, stopping the Jews from observing the Sabbath, that one day of rest a week. He massacred many Jews. He turned the temple over to the worship of a Greek god, Zeus, and he even sacrificed a pig or got a pig sacrificed in a temple, which was just to sort of desecrate it. It was totally unclean and, and not allowed in the temple. And, and Antiochus is one of those antichrist figures which Rich talked about last week that's kind of referred to in, in chapter 7. This sort of, we talked last week about the kind of the, the sort of principle, the paradigm of the Antichrist that actually is not just one Antichrist, the New Testament speaks about there will be many Antichrists, many people who are against Jesus, against God, setting themselves up in the place of God's. And, and we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter those, not necessarily doing exactly what this guy was doing, um, Antiochus, but we should expect evil. We should expect, not, not welcome, but we should expect, shouldn't be surprised about, but we should be shocked about evil when we come across it, when we see people who reject God doing terrible things. Evil and suffering, even though it's not a surprise, it should move us. We should care, we should pray. Even when it doesn't affect us, I think one of the difficulties that we have, I guess, the way the media works is that things that are reported most are often the things that are, well, either very, very recent or the things that have an effect on us. There are wars and conflicts around the world that don't have any effect on most of us, and, and so we don't, they're not on the BBC News website. But we should care. We should care. We should care for the people, people made in God's image who are suffering. And sadly, Antiochus, he wasn't the last people to do violence towards God's people. Remember the Holocaust, the genocide of European Jews in the Second World War. 
many Christians today are persecuted for their faith. It's, it's a, I was going to say it's a great website. It's a very sobering website, the Open Doors. You can Google it. Open Doors is a Christian charity that works to support uh, and Christians who are being persecuted and help Christians support them and pray for them. It, it, said, it says, I read it yesterday, it said that uh, 5,621 5, Christians were murdered for their faith last year. A number of you here are, are Nigerians. N- Nigeria... Um, perhaps I think particularly the north and the middle part, the sort of Muslim majority areas of Nigeria. Terrible place for Christian persecution. It, it said on that website, more Christians are killed in Nigeria than the rest of the world combined. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's shocking. It's terrible. And uh, there's some great resources on, on that website to be able to pray for that situation and We need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. Pray for them. Pray for protection. Pray for courage to keep going, not to give up following Jesus. I I can't say what I would be like, but I do hope that I would have the strength from God to keep going, to not be ashamed of Jesus, even when my life was in danger. We pray that for them. But I guess it's also easy, easy to focus on the sort of evil monsters, isn't it? The evil people are behind these terrible things that are going on in the world. Antiochus, Hitler, violent people today. Pure evil, we might say. But we're just normal, aren't we? They're evil, we're normal. And in fact, even just the, the, talking about the word evil, it's probably reserved for very particular things and, and, and people. But these are just extreme manifestations of evil, aren't they? The evil that's actually in all of our hearts, Jesus said. Jesus said, from within, out of, our, out of a person's heart, all of our hearts, that come evil thoughts, Mark seven twenty one, leading to evil actions. The Bible calls it sin. And Jesus is the only solution. He's the only one who can forgive us through his death on the cross. He's the only one who can change our hearts. There's anyone who can help us against temptation to expect evil but remember God's in charge remember God's in charge we've seen that throughout the book of Daniel um, we talked about the God most high we keep seeing that um, sometimes these human kings they speak amazing truths that perhaps they don't fully understand what they're saying or maybe they've only really get part of it there's a there's a, a carving of Nebuchadnezzar um, appears earlier, Babylonian king. And this is what he says after Daniel's interpreted his dream. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries. Praise God. It's true. But where are the signs that God is in charge in chapter 8 then? How is this vision meant to prepare God's people for the journey ahead when they're they're going to be heading back home and, you know, oh, great. Oh, it's great great to hear that actually when we finally get back to Jerusalem, there's going to be some guy killing us and stopping the sacrifices and wrecking the temple. Oh, this is going to be great. Where is God in all of this? And maybe you're wondering that as well. You know, where is God? Where is God in your situation? Where is God in the world? Has God really got this? But there's some great signs that God is in charge here. First of all, God knows the future. Um, Daniel's vision um, 
Well, I mean, in a sense, the whole thing is actually God telling Daniel about the future. How is he able to tell him about the future? Because he knows the future, because he controls the future. And we can see in the vision that the rulers come and go, but actually God is the one who remains. God is, there's, there's, there's goats, there's rams, you know, this great, amazing, great leader in world history, he's, he's just a goat who lasts a few years, but God endures forever. And um, some people have said, actually, this, this prophecy is so accurate. It fits so well with history, it just couldn't have been written in advance. It's just impossible. You know, it, it must have been written around the, you know, after these things had happened in the second century, not in the, in, the, in the sixth century at the time of the exile. Because Daniel, of course, Daniel couldn't know the future. Daniel couldn't say what was going to happen. No, it's right, isn't it? Daniel... As Daniel makes clear in other places, no, Daniel couldn't know the future, but God can. God knows the future. God controls the future. And uh, we might wonder, we might wonder, well, if he knows the future, why do so many bad things happen? Why do even bad things happen to God's people? Not really time to say a lot about it, but I think just probably a couple of helpful things to say. You know, the Bible doesn't give a neat answer about this, but a few things the Bible says. It says God is absolutely pure. God is absolutely pure. He's not responsible for any evil. God is absolutely loving. Shown most of all in sending his son Jesus to, to die for us so we could reconnect with God. And he's with us in our suffering. And God is absolutely sovereign. He's in control. He's in charge. Nothing surprises him. So God not only knows the future, but God sets limits as well. A voice, verse 13, says, how long? How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? Really what they're saying is, um, I don't think it's so much an interest in uh, the dates and stuff. It's just like, how long is this going to go on for? When are we going to get through all of this? And maybe you might wonder that as well. You might think, oh Lord, how long is this going on for? Many of the Psalms have that kind of sentiment. Lord, how long? Seems like you've forgotten me. How long is this going on for? And the answer is 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, various attempts have been made to sort of work out what's going on there. It could equate to different things. It could be symbolic. But the most important thing, I think, for us to take from this is actually there's a limit. God has set a limit. There will be an end. And God knows it, and God has set that. In the Bible, it even says God sets a limit on the temptations we face. 1 Corinthians 10 says that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he would set a limit on Antiochus IV as well. His end is prophesied in verse 25. He will be destroyed, but not by human power. God's going to intervene. And again, it's a mystery about the, the, the limits that God sets. Why doesn't God do it sooner? Why does he let it go on so long? But I think at least it is a comfort to know, actually, God is in charge. God sets limits. God knows what he's doing. We can't see the bigger picture. And God plans to save. And there's a, a wonderful kind of reference here to what God was ultimately going to do, the greater salvation. Not just save his people from um, Antiochus IV, and the Jews today celebrate Hanukkah. They have a festival particularly celebrating 
what happened when they were freed in Jerusalem and the, was, was um, freed and the temple was rededicated. But there's, there's something even greater referred to here. Did you notice the name of the angel who brought the vision to Daniel? Gabriel. Where else do we see Gabriel in the Bible? It's the only other place we see Gabriel. Appearing to Mary, yeah, and, and John the Baptist's um, mother, Elizabeth, as well. It's in, the, it's in the, the run-up to Christmas. It's in the Christmas readings. And um, it, it, I love these words of John the Baptist's dad, uh, Zachariah, and, and sp- speaking about what was going to happen in the coming of Jesus. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them or set them free. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servants, David. We've been hearing a lot about horns. It's the same here. It's about strength. There's there's a strong salvation coming. There's a strong rescuer coming. It will actually be God. In Jesus, God was coming to rescue us. His ultimate plan to save us through Jesus' perfect life, his death for us, his resurrection, and um, it's a wonderful thing. It's a strong salvation that Jesus brings. It's powerful enough to save every person who believes and trusts in Jesus. It's strong enough to wash us clean from everything we've done wrong, stronger than the strongest washing powder, to make us white as snow, the Bible says. I just want to ask, have you received Jesus' salvation? It's here. It's waiting for you this morning, maybe to tie in, apply to other things as well. It's a door to step through, as the Bible says, to say, actually, yes, I want, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want your salvation. I want to know what it is to be a real Christian. There is great, devastating evil in our world, but God knows the future. He limits evil and he saves us through his son. One day, things will be a place of peace when Jesus returns. Well, just very briefly, and we're running short of time, but um, what should our response be? Really, really good. I love this phrase. It's about being about the king's business. Verse 27, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Maybe you're exhausted by the end of this, this talk, but um, I am. Uh, but he says, I got up and went about the king's business. But he, but he still says, I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond my understanding. He didn't get it all. And he was shocked and horrified by what he did understand. But he got on with the king's business. Now, of course, for him, it was at the time serving King Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians. Well, what does it mean for us as Christians? Serving King Jesus, getting on with the king's business. And, and maybe we think, actually, I, I, this talk hasn't really helped me. I still don't really understand. We've got a few little tips and pointers here. And, and of course, what we've said here, that it won't explain your situation. It won't explain the wars of the world. But actually, you think, actually, we, we know God is here. God cares. God is with us. God is in control. God is loving. And God, God knows what he's doing. And with that in mind, I think we can say, okay, Lord, in some of these things we have to say, Lord, I'll leave it to you, but I'm just going to go about your business. You know, 
loving others, doing your job well, being faithful in praying for people, caring for your family, sharing the love and message of Jesus, reaching out to those in need. Let's be about the king's business this week this and the weeks to come. Let's be about the king's business knowing that God is in charge. Yes, they will be evil, but God is in charge and uh, we can put our trust in him. Yeah, let me pray, let me pray. Father God, if we just pause for a moment and um, just, just to, perhaps to just say actually, maybe just to, in your mind, just to commit something to God. It might be that you want us just remember a, a situation where you think actually a situation of evil, a situation of chaos, and you want to say, Lord, please will you, please will you do something. Please will you at least reassure me and help me and let me know that you're with me in this. Maybe for others of us, we think, actually, what does it look like to get on with the king's business? What, what is God calling us to this week? Even though there's difficult things going on around us, we want to focus on putting God first, serving the Lord Jesus.